Verse 28 says, now when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So where are we? And I wanted, uh, I made this slide for you so that you could see that. Uh, go ahead, Micah, make sure that gets over the internet too. This is a timeline of this last week. So today is Sunday. So this would be the day that we're reading today. This is the entry into Jerusalem. So that's Monday. Everybody got that? So tomorrow, tomorrow, which we're going to read, Monday, we're going to read that today too. He's going to cleanse the temple, and then we'll see he talks about the controversies of the Jewish leaders, and he's going to go back and forth with them. That's on Tuesday. It's not really known what happened on Wednesday. There is some debate. So it, it, it would seem that it could have been a rest day, a day kind of a downtime for them, or it was more of a preparation day for the Thursday event which would be the preparation of the Passover, and then Friday, the trial, Jesus is in the tomb Saturday, and then Sunday, Jesus raised from the grave. Now, all of that is important, right? But you need to keep in mind, because we look at the Bible, and it says, Jesus says, well, I'll be in the, the, the ground three days, right? But then you look at that, and you go, but that my math doesn't work. Well, because we're, we are Westerners, right? We've gone into this a lot. We have math differently. We have a calendar, as we will see today, that's different. We work on the Julian calendar, which is how many days in a year? 365. The Bible works on a lunar calendar, which is a 360. So it's a little different. Also, the Jews, listen, anytime there were three stars in the sky, it started the, new, the next day. So that's why we have that phrase at the bottom. Let's look at it. Keep in mind that the Jewish day went sundown to, uh, sundown to sundown so that Thursday evening would be their Friday, the day of Passover. So it, it can be confusing to a Westerner, to a Jew. They're not confused. You got to know that. They wouldn't have been confused here either. But I wanted you to be able to see where we are in relation to that last week. So listen. Next Sunday, although it won't be in our text, next Sunday, Jesus has already come out of the tomb and given us life. Amen? Amen. So this week is the greatest week on planet Earth. This week, Jesus is going to do things. He's going to say things. He's going to make them want to kill him even more because he is about to take their power away from them. But he's also going to prophesy what is about to come. And so he said this as they went up to Jerusalem. He came and came near to Bethpage and Bethany, verse 29, a place called Olivet, Mount Olivet. And he sent out two disciples. And he said, go into the village opposite of you where you uh, will enter and find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosening it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had told them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owner said to them, why are you loosening the colt? And they said, because the Lord has need of it. And so they brought it to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on it. And as he went, many spread out their own clothes upon the road. And then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, 
the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that had been done, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called out to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should keep quiet, or these should keep silent, these very stones would cry out. So here we have Jesus coming in. Not much commentary, a little bit here we'll we'll mention of it. But now Jesus is coming into the city, into Jerusalem. We're going to see his reaction to the crowd. He's going to, and then we're going to see him uh, weeping over Jerusalem, and then we'll see him going into the temple. A couple of things to note here. So he gets this donkey from this village. His two disciples go out and they bring it. They bring it back to him. Would you note with me that they put their own clothes, verse thirty-five, upon him? This is kind of funny because my daughter Rachel and I we were driving around yesterday, and and she likes horses. I know it's a shocker, a young girl liking horses, and she was ta- telling us, "I'm driving and." She's telling us all about English tact and Western tact. Does anybody know that there's a difference between the two of these? Yes? Okay. Men, I don't, it, what did John Wayne have on? I mean, it, it, what was he riding? You know, he, a Western <laughs> saddle. That's the only thing I would ever utter. And those of you who watched like Downton Abbey, you would have known the English side, right? Well, there's a difference there, and, and, and she was saying how about they, they put the blanket on, and then there's this other pad, and then it helps because it gives you more comfort, and I'm thinking, man, I, I don't know a whole lot, but I'm thinking the clothes they put on this donkey was not going to be a pleasant ride at all. I mean, if you looked at a donkey and said, that's going to be a comfortable ride. And yet, this is what Jesus is riding. He's not on a horse. Do you think a Roman Caesar, do you think Pontius Pilate would have said when he landed, hey, get me a comfortable donkey? Comfort and donkey don't go together. They would have ridden what? A white horse, an Arabian horse, something beautiful and stood out. It, It was the automobile of the day. It's like Jesus jumping in a Yugo. And if you don't know what that is, Google it. You'll get a good laugh. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think we have its modern equivalent today of that. It's that versus what the president rides in. And Jesus rides on a lowly donkey in a colt. And it shows his humility, and it shows the world that he doesn't need something fancy in order to be the king. Isn't that great? He didn't wear Versace. He didn't wear suits from Armani. He didn't wear what they wore of the day of somebody that was important. He just had on faded glory jeans. Those of you who shop at that particular store know what I'm talking about. The Bible says that he didn't stand out. This is a man who is the creator. He's got plain old clothes on, plain old haircut, 
beard, and he jumps on a donkey. Well, the result of that is this. And many went, verse 36, and spread their clothes on the road. They put their, now listen, in this day, if you had two changes of clothes, you were considered wealthy. Can you imagine taking whatever you have and putting it on a dirty, stinking road? Now remember, this isn't the roads that we have that are somewhat paved in the Carolinas. (laughs) We still have roads in Horry County that are dirt roads. This isn't a road that's kind of paved and smooth. This is a road, and I've, and I've told you guys this before, of what an ancient road is. It may have some stones or some gravel, but for the most part, it's got animal dung on it. Now, how many of you would put your clothes down? Thinking that it's going to be very difficult to wash that. You see... We read a section of scripture and we don't put ourselves in the position of the people that are there in the time. We look at it from a Western view from 2020 with a washing machine. We don't look at it like, hey, we got to go down to the river and beat it on a rock, which they don't really have a whole lot of good soap. And yet they were willing. Do you see now how huge this is? The people knew These people, not the rest of the people, we'll get into them in a minute. They knew that this was God. And they wanted to, as a sign, lay down. And you see, for us, it's not the sign that it was for them. All they had was their clothes and palm branches. All of the Gospels speak of this entry into Jerusalem all give a a little bit different view. And I love how the doctor, Luke, tells us about how people just taking off their cloak and laying it upon the dirty, stinking ground for God. And then we complain about the littlest thing, about church or not coming to church or giving or not giving. These people gave pretty much everything that they had to show their love for Jesus. So as he drew near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude, how much is the whole? Everybody that's there, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a sh- a, a little voice? and With a loud voice. This is what got those religious guys mad. With a loud voice, Notice, for all the mighty works they had seen. This isn't a fairy tale story. People knew. Now, John tells us one of the main reasons for this event is because of a guy named Lazarus, that who was raised in the town over at Bethany, and he was raised from the grave. These people in this area know Lazarus, and they know what Jesus had done. So they knew these mighty works of God. Guys, we can very easily in the United States of America or in a Western world have nothing specific to praise God for. So I ask you, do you know the mighty works of God in your own life? Not anyone else's, your life. 
How do you praise God and what do you praise him for? Well, I'm an American Christian. Well, what does that mean? Can you, like these people, see Jesus and declare unto him and to everyone else what God has done for you? Not just be some, uh, not using Christianese, not using words that everybody else is, not using the faith of your family member, but your faith, what has the mighty works of God done in your life? They knew that, they witnessed it, and they declared that to everyone. Let's see what they said. Verse 38. And they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Would you note with me uh, there in verse 38? But they said, peace in heaven because on earth there is, there is about to be no peace until who comes and rules and reigns? Jesus. Now, again, you've you got to put yourself in where these people are. They don't know that he is going to the cross. He's told them lots, many times that he is going to suffer. So as they're praising him for what he has done and coming into Jerusalem, what do they think he is about to do? <laughs> well, he's about to go punch Pilate in the, in the nose and kick them Romans out. But that's not what he is going to do. So therefore, there is no peace on earth. There's peace in heaven because everything that has been declared up to this point is proving exactly that the Bible is accurate. Jesus will point that out today. He's going to tell us about two specific prophecies that are fulfilled and will be fulfilled after he leaves. The Bible is one quarter prophecy, something that no other religious book on planet earth has or has been fulfilled. That's why this Bible is true. That's why you can rest your entire life upon Jesus Christ, because he is who he said he was, and when he said, I'm coming again, he's coming again, hopefully before January. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd. Now, if you're a Pharisee, you're a religious leader, you got the big hat, the big robe, you think you got all this prestige, people look at you. You know, Jesus talked about how they love the titles, they love, oh, rabbi, rabbi, they sit at the, the best seats of the feast, and these guys are treated very well. They've never been spoken to quite like John the Baptist spoke to them and Jesus. No one has ever talked talked, oh, I just sounded very New Yorker there, talked. <laughs> no one has ever talked to them that way. No one has ever challenged their belief and said, where is that in the Bible? Sound like today? So, of course, you're going to be mad, and of course, you are going to want to remove that person. And so, they, they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples, their praise made Jesus' enemies uncomfortable. It made them object to their praise being offered. Can you believe 
that these Jews who believe in Yahweh God are telling people not to praise Yahweh God? Does that make sense to anybody? But they're doing it. There is something about the true worship of God that often makes people feel very uncomfortable, especially to people who are not Christians yet. You ever ever had people, family members, you invite them to Easter or to the, uh, what's coming up? Christmas Eve service. Forgot it already. And they're sitting here, and they're like, oh, the kids, ooh, the kids. And then I get up, and I give a message, or we're singing to the Lord, and we're worshiping, and they just feel all weirded out. Were you that person? Can you remember when you went to church before you got saved? Like, what's with these people? And you don't get it, and you feel very uncomfortable that people are singing to somebody they have never seen? Kind of weird, isn't it? Then you get saved, you're like, oh, I get it now. That's where the religious leaders are. They're uncomfortable, and rightfully so, because they're about to reject their God who stands right before them. Guys, God gives everybody the opportunity through their entire life to accept Jesus. There are so many opportunities for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and think about how they are like the the religious leaders. They reject God. It makes them feel uncomfortable. Well, you know what? Get saved. You won't feel uncomfortable. You'll be weird like we are. It's real easy. You call us Jesus freaks. We'll accept Jesus. Become one. It's fun. Amen. Don't you love, and and I don't mean to say it this way, but don't you love, like, confounding the world and your family? (laughs) And you know, see, you're laughing. You know holidays are coming up, and who are they going to ask to pray? You. And I mean, get, I say this every year, but get into it. Get Jesus in there, I don't know how many times. Make them feel, in a loving way, uncomfortable. And then break out into some great hymn. (laughs) All creatures great and, I mean, just hard held in hands. Guys, the religious leaders, they had the monopoly on the world, on their world of their day. And a bunch of disciples ruined their day. But it wasn't a day to be ruined. It was a day to rejoice. And that's what Jesus does next. And so as he drew near, he saw the city. What city? Jerusalem. But he wept over it. Now, why in the world would Jesus weep over his city? Why would he start, by the way, the Hebrew says, I'm sorry, not the Hebrew, the Greek, that he wails that he is sobbing. Why is he doing that? Well, we'll get into that in a minute, but this shows us the heart of God and how even when judgment must be pronounced, and he will pronounce judgment in a minute, it is never done with glee or happiness. God is never happy to punish the wicked. There is weeping in the heart of God even when his judgment is perfectly just and righteous. 
And I think a lot of people miss that. I think they think that he is just waiting to pounce on you, but he is not. He is a loving God, and he is going to demonstrate that upon the cross. Note with, Jesus, uh, note with me what Jesus says in verse 30, uh, 42. He says, if you had known. Now, he is talking to the religious leaders. So I want you to imagine this scene. He's coming in at some point. He stops. He is sobbing. Now, I guarantee you they are laughing at him, those religious leaders, because you don't do that as a rabbi. You don't show emotion, especially a man showing emotion and a religious leader, a rabbi, a teacher. You wouldn't do that. And so when he's done weeping, I don't know about you, I, I want to see this video. He pivots to where they are. And he says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day. So it's specific. This day, the other gospel says, if you would have known this day, the things that make for your peace, but now are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you a siege around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you. Those are not words you want to hear. And you and your children within to the ground that they will not leave one stone upon another. Notice, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let me translate. That you did not know that God was in your midst. So in verse 42, he says, If you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, they are now hidden from your eyes. He mourns the fact that they did not know the time that Messiah was coming, the day that was prophesied in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. Now, let me say this, and then we'll come back to this, this Daniel prophecy. The first coming of Jesus was prophesied to the very day. They could have set their watch by it. The second, the second coming of Jesus is not that way. Jesus says, I don't even know the day or hour. Only my Father in heaven knows. Now, there are times and seasons, so there are things that are a foreshadow of what's coming. But they knew when Jesus was coming. They knew when Messiah the anointed one, was to show up. And it is from Daniel. So this day prophesied by Daniel, the Messiah, the prince, he says, Daniel said that it would be 483 years on the Jewish calendar from the day the decree to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem to the day of Messiah would be 483 uh, years. And uh, that's why I started today with that, is that we work on a 365 calendar, the Julian calendar, the Roman calendar, and in, in the Bible is on a 360. So this prophecy by Daniel, that Messiah the Prince would come. Now, Ezra came to rebuild the, anybody? Temple. His job was not to, so 
people have made mistakes through the years trying to figure out the math. And by the way, the best guy who has ever done this is Sir Robert Anderson. We actually have his books out there, The Coming Prince. He was a Scotland Yard police, police officer. What I mean, if you got a lot of time in Scotland Yard, you just sit down and you do some biblical math. But he has the best book on this topic, and he lays it all out, and we'll give you the dates here in a minute. Um, So based on the prophecy in Daniel 9, doesn't reflect Ezra because Ezra wasn't rebuilding the wall. It was Nehemiah who comes later. And so when his decree that goes out to rebuild and restore the temple, that started the clock. And that clock is 483 years. Are you ready for it? You want to hear some dates? Because this is what Sir Robert Anderson did. And mind you, he didn't do this with supercomputers. How the guy did it is amazing. It is by God's design that we have these numbers and these dates. Not by computers. And by the way, now the supercomputers can do the work that Sir Robert Anderson does and it... And it um, it strengthens uh, what he had done in his research. So on March 14th, 445 BC, the decree to Nehemiah to go and to rebuild the temple. Pretty easy. March 14th, 445 BC. Now we know that because we have not only some biblical ideas of the time, but we also have extra biblical because the Medes and the Persians kept good records. Um, like the Romans kept good records, <laughs> like the Germans kept good records. It seems to be people keep good records, uh, except for our own government. March 14th, 445 B.C. Now you add 483 years to that, figuring out leap years and all of that, and the 28th, and ugh. what you come up with is this, April 6th, 32 AD, Jesus rode in April 6, 32 AD, the very day. Now, Sir Robert Anderson comes thousands of years later to figure this out, but these guys would have known that. They would have been able to do their math. They knew when the time that uh, the command to go out and to rebuild Jerusalem to Nehemiah, they knew the time. All they had to do is count the 483 years and come to the exact time. So this is why Jesus is weeping. Do you see that? He's standing there, and let's just say there's only a couple of hundred people that are welcoming him into Jerusalem. The entire nation should be welcoming their Messiah. And they are about to make the biggest mistake that they will ever make. And it will be the rejection. No better verse than this day, April 6, 32 AD. This is the day that the Lord is made. This day. So when Jesus makes this point over and over, this day, this day, if you guys had remembered this day, he says, the things that make for your peace. Isn't it interesting that Jerusalem means city of peace? <laughs> But the city of peace did not know the things that make for peace. Jesus knew their desire for a political Messiah, not a Messiah that would die 
for their sins. Notice, and now what he says in verse 42, they will be hidden from their eyes. They chose not to know, and they chose to reject. Then he says, for the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave uh, in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time, the day of your visitation. So, Jesus looked back into Daniel and he said, this is what was prophesied and this is fulfilled before your very eyes. And now he looks into the future some 40 years later. In 70 AD, the Romans under Titus Vespasia come in and kill over 600,000 Jews. They... (laughs) The Romans had been dealing with Israel for a long time and those Jews are stubborn and they had rebellion after rebellion after rebellion and you can only push the Romans so far because the Romans, well, they're masters at destroying and killing and they walk in in 70 AD and this is all uh, from Josephus, the Jewish historian, It was a siege of 143 days. They built a rampart all around Jerusalem. At this point, it was probably the worst siege that man has ever seen. The people inside of Jerusalem came to the point of cannibalism. Um, It was terrible. And they were telling them, just come out and surrender, and they did not. Later on, uh, a few of them will um, go to Masada with an entire uh, group of families, and on on top of Masada, they will hold out again. And if you go to Israel, it is by far your your best place to go to in Masada, and you will see where over a 1,000 Jews committed suicide rather than being taken alive by the Romans who were building a siege ramp, and you can still see the ramp today, and you can see the Roman encampment. It is the coolest thing to go up there in a tram Now, if you walk it up, make sure that you have a nurse with you like I did because I about had a heart attack that day. This really happened. But what was interesting was what Jesus says. He says two things that are accurate before it even happens. Obviously, he says a lot that's accurate. But here, he says they will build an embankment around you and surround you on every side. The Romans did that, and there's proof of that in the soil. And then they will level you and your children within you to the ground, and here it is, they will not leave to you one stone upon another. Now, the Temple Mount, which is still the Temple Mount today, it's got the Dome of the Rock, but it had uh, the second temple that was built that later on King Herod added on to it, and he wanted to make it lavish, and there was gold inside of that. Now, listen, if you're a Roman soldier, you get a salary, but you don't get a whole lot. You get salt. You get a thing of salt, but you get a little bit of coin. Obviously, you get bread and wine and all that, but your real money comes from what you plunder when you're out fighting, and the Romans allowed that because that's how they kept their soldiers, 
So you knew if you were going into this area, you're like, man, we've heard of this area. It's filled with gold. It's filled with jewels. We can't wait. We've been fighting for years. And the temple was that for them. And the, the tradition is that they threw some kind of torch inside of the temple, which caught the temple on fire, which melted the gold that was on the walls, and the gold melted down into the rocks. Well, now you're bummed out because now it's not on the rock, uh, the, the face of the temple, easily to be pulled off. Now it's in the, the crags of the rock. Well, what do you do then? What do you do, Micah? You throw the rocks off of the Temple Mount. And if you go to Israel with us, you can see this pile of rock. And I, I, I couldn't really find the photo I wanted. Go through the, the two other slides. This is the one that you can see. And right before that is a huge indention into the stone where uh, obviously a huge stone had been pushed off and it just sunk right down into there. Look at the scale, scale of these rocks. Do you see that guy? That's the scale of these rocks, and they're bigger rocks too, by the way. So as they threw them down into the bottom, then the Romans were able to pick the gold through the rocks. Now, the Romans would have had no... Um, reason to destroy that temple. They would have gone in there, pulled the gold off of the walls, pulled everything out, and the structure would have been left there. That's normal. They would have turned it into the temple of Diana or whatever. That's what they did. The Muslims did the same thing when they conquered into Spain or into Turkey. You can see the uh, um, some beautiful structures that we saw in Turkey that were Christian, and then they turned them into mosques. That's what you did. Why build a new one when you got one standing, right? So what makes the Romans utterly destroy this and level you and your children to the ground that will not leave you one stone upon another? How do you do that? Well, you do that because one drunk Roman soldier throws a throws a torch into the temple and burns the temple and the gold falls into the cracks of the stone and now they got to completely dismantle that temple to get it out. 40 years before it will happen. Guys, when Jesus talks, it's going to happen. And he gives us these two prophecies. This is why Jesus is who he says he is. Well, Verse 45, how about we cleanse the temple, shall we? <laughs> Some of my favorite video I want to see. Then he went into the temple. By the way, this is the next day. This is Monday. And every night he is spending in Bethany back with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. By the way, uh, the religious leaders um, are trying to kill Lazarus as well because you can't have a, a guy who was raised from the dead just walking around. Can you? You got a guy. He's a, like he's like on his shirt. It just says proof. Right here, I'm the guy. <laughs> you can't have that guy walking around. So they wanted to kill him as well. They will want to kill anybody or take anybody out that has proof that Jesus is who he says he is. 
Well, then he went up to the temple. <laughs> when you just wanted to have Matthew or John have a GoPro right here, you have a GoPro. He's <laughs> watching the whole, it's all right, we've got the Holy Spirit camera. We'll watch it later. They went up to the temple and they began to drive out those who bought and sold. Now, Jesus had previously cleansed the temple back in John chapter 2. Pretty much the first thing he did in his ministry was to go to the temple and to clean it out. He did that in the beginning, and then three years later, he comes back, and it's in the same state that it was in the beginning of his ministry. So if you're taking uh, um, note of that, I'll get it out. That's John chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Now, why is Jesus mad? Well, because the court of the Gentiles, and that's where this was at, was in the place of the temple that was available only to the Gentiles and primarily to the women. So there was an area set aside for the women, but the women weren't allowed to go to a a certain port. Uh, part of the temple. So the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, kind of roughly in the same area, but this was the only place where these Gentiles could go. There the Jews could witness to these pagans. Remember, Judaism was set up and the Jews' priesthood was set up to declare to the world who God was and that God had a standard for their life. He had commandments. He had boundaries for them, healthy boundaries, but they chose not to proclaim God to the world and to the Gentiles. Rather, what they wanted to do was profit from it, and so they made a religious marketplace where they bought and sold, and what would happen was if you were coming from the Galilee, you didn't want to bring your lamb all the way that far or your bull or your weed offering or your drink offering, so you sold it in your town You took the money to Jerusalem, you would come into this court of the Gentiles where they would have the table set up, and because you couldn't use Roman money, of course, how many of you have got to a country? It's not so much anymore because when I traveled, usually I have no problem with dollars. People like dollars. Uh, Actually, when we were in Turkey, they wanted our dollars because they got a little better exchange rate out of it. But there, they only accepted the temple shekel, only one form of money. And so you had to turn in your money, or you had to buy your lamb. So in your town, maybe a lamb cost you 10 bucks, right? But in the temple, it cost you $100. To exchange your money, I remember we were in China one time, and uh, we were trying to exchange, we were in the middle, it was, we had just landed in the morning, there was nothing open, we're like so hungry, we're waiting for McDonald's to open up. Listen, say what you will, but McDonald's has saved your pastor's life <laughs> overseas. <laughs> Not in this country, overseas. So we're waiting to eat, and we're like, we got, and they wouldn't accept American money in China. Uh, and so we're like, okay, well, we got to do some little exchange, man, just, they took us, let's just say that, I think it cost us to eat that meal, about probably about 100 bucks, with the exchange rate, and how bad they took us, and I felt like, man, this is like Jesus day, can I over, well, then I'd be in jail, and then, 
the guy who was with us was praying with these other guys, and I'm like, oh, we're going to jail. So Pastor Ron's helpful tips, don't pray in a Chinese airport because people were looking at us and people with them radios. And I'm like, I just want to get on this plane and eat my McDonald's. What does that have to do with this message? Nothing. No. <laughs> I was talking about exchange rate. So you're turning your Roman coins in to get a shekel, but now it costs you two, three, four, five, ten times. Is that right? No. Should they have just done one-to-one? Probably. Because the law said you could not get usury from your fellow Jew. The idea was you couldn't make a profit off them. So Jesus is kind of mad. And we don't see Jesus mad very often, but we see two times where he walks into his father's house. And he said to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Instead of praying for the people, the priests were praying on the people. I didn't make that up. That's been around for a long time. The temple was not a house of prayer. It became a den of thieves. G. Campbell Morgan, one of my favorite writers, said it this way. He said, it, uh, he said that a den of thieves is a place where thieves... Isn't that ironic? But before we condemn them too harshly, we should look at the church and see if it's also a den of thieves. Oh, don't you hate when an old good dead guy writes something like that? We should look to the church as well. Has, have we made it into a religious marketplace? Jesus says, my house is a house of prayer. Please note with me as he ends. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. So he came back day after day to teach in the temple. Every time he was in Jerusalem, he was teaching. And he said that to them at one point. I've been here. Why didn't you seize me when I was in the temple? But they seized him, as we will see, at night. <laughs> A lot of things go on overnight. No, don't pull me down that path either. <laughs> don't do it. I remember someone once saying, nothing good ever happens after 12 a.m. And so too with the religious leaders arresting Jesus, as we will see. And notice they were unable. Why were they unable? Because it wasn't giving them power to do. I love that. I love that they were not able to touch Jesus, to seize Jesus until he said, okay. It is the same with us. Nobody can seize us and can touch us unless the Father wills it and says, okay. And if it's okay with dad, it has to be okay with us because maybe we're going home then to be with him. And so they were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Kind of hard to seize God when everybody is listening to him, amen? Read ahead next week. Jesus will continue to challenge the religious leaders. So that'll take us into Tuesday and into Wednesday in that calendar that we saw. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mighty word, Lord, in these deeds. 
that we see in your word and that you've done in our lives and that we would have a cause and a reason to worship you like they worshiped you on those streets in Jerusalem. Thank you, Lord, that you have come to give us life, that you've paid for our sins, and that you're coming again. Lord, this crazy world is falling into place. Not out of place, it's falling into place. All of these pieces, all of the players are lining up for the end game. And that is for your return. Not only to take your bride, but then later on after the tribulation to judge this world. And to set up your kingdom. And then eternity. We long to see those days. Lord, let us have words to speak and to share with others, and that we would not be like the religious leaders who just kept their religion to themselves and did not share it with others. And Father, this week, as people are with family and friends, that you would give them the boldness to speak in love and declare the works of God. And that today, this year, is the year of salvation. And so, Lord, we just thank you again for those serving. We thank you for your word. And now, Lord, allow us to sing to you a sweet-smelling aroma and praise up to your altar. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship.